The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Have you ever thought about what it would be like if you could go back? If you could go back in time, if you could go back and redo some things, if you could visit the past, what that would be like. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever desired to turn back the clock? And if you have, if you have, how far back do you think you would go? Do you have an idea of where there was a turning point, perhaps? A turning point when maybe you wish you had done something differently some regret, something that you wish you could change. Or maybe not a turning point, maybe just, you know, something that you'd like to relive, something that you'd like to revisit, some joy, some happiness that is now long gone. If you could turn back the clock, would you? And how far would you go? You can think about it in a couple of different ways. You can think about it in your own personal life, going back in your life to an earlier day. Or you can think about it more broadly, We as a society, we as a country, we as a state, if we could go back, would we? Should we? How far would we go? I want to suggest to you that there are at least three important ways that that question gets answered. Three that are kind of common in our world. And the first is really kind of a prideful answer. Proud and boastful. No, I would not go back. Why would we go back? Go back to former days when things were worse than they are right now. I was sharing with the Wednesday morning Bible study some statistics that I saw recently about life expectancy. In the last hundred years, life expectancy in the United States has grown from 40 years, 40 years, the average life, to now 78.6. Why would you go back? 
Why would you go back to a time when people didn't live so long? A time before anesthesia? A time before glasses? A time before insulin? A time before surgery that you didn't feel? A time before antibiotics? Why would you go back? Our world is so much better now than it used to be. That's a very common notion in our world. For all the complaining and all the lamentation about our world, people do generally think that our world is better than it used to be. After all, it wasn't 15 years ago that we didn't have smartphones. Ask any kid nowadays and they would say, of course I would never go back. How could you do anything without a smartphone? Did you go back 30 years, 40 years, no internet? Go back 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, no TV? Why would you go back? Why would we lose all of those things? And those are, of course, conveniences, things that make our lives more simple. But there are other things, too, progressive ideas. Why would you turn back the clock on rights and freedoms? Why would you turn back the clock on a world where now we have a whole month devoted to pride, where everyone can do whatever they want with impunity? Why would you turn back the clock on that? That's what our world says. You're saying that it was all a waste if you want to go back that it was all vanity, that things were better when they were regressive before. That's progressivism in our world. That's humanism in our world. The idea that we're always getting better and better and better. And although it might be nice for one individual to go back and kind of relive things or make some changes, generally speaking, the idea in our world is we're getting better. Why would we ever go back? That's one answer to the question. Forward, onward, that's always better. But maybe you are the kind of person who has lots of fond memories in your past, and so you're willing. You're willing to put up with some inconveniences in order to enjoy those things again, to kind of go back and relive the glory days. So especially among conservatives in our world, you hear a lot of talk about the glory days, the Reagan era, the 50s. Go back. How far back would you go when things were the way they should be? the way that the world really should run. Wouldn't it be nice to go back and revisit those glory days, to recapture once again the energy and optimism, the goodness of our world? Have you ever thought that? Have you heard people talk that way? Or maybe it's not the glory days in our world, socially speaking, but in your own life. Go back to when your kids weren't so big, when they weren't looking down on you, but they were looking up at you, when you could hold them. Go back to the last time you picked up your child. You ever thought about that? There was a last time you held your child, would you go back to relive, to enjoy those kinds of things? Now, that is often the case for parents for whom time goes by so quickly with their children. It's also the case for old men who wish they could go back and be younger and stronger and more vigorous. It's the case for everyone, isn't it? That there's a time we'd like to go back to when things in our own lives were good. Let me just go back and enjoy it a little bit more. But notice something about this attitude going back to enjoy it a little bit more. There's still some pride in that, isn't there? There's some pride which thinks things were great and I would do it exactly the same as I did it before. Think about that. If you're the kind of person who, at this point in your life, has no regrets, then you haven't honestly been appraising your life. If you'd say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing, I'd go back and I wouldn't change a thing, I wouldn't do anything, well, maybe I would change some things. I would change what somebody else did. I would fix somebody else's problems. 
I'd stop them from doing those terrible things, but myself, I'm doing fine. Things have turned out for me the way I wanted them to turn. I, I couldn't see it any other way. I did my best, I tried my hardest, and here I am. I might go back to enjoy it again, but I've got nothing to change. You see the pride in that kind of attitude. I think that that's often the case when people kind of relive in their minds the glory days, times gone by. It's a reflection on happiness and joy, but there's little repentance. There's little sense of what we should have done differently, how we could have improved things. Little sense of our sins, maybe mistakes, maybe small errors, but how about sins? Sins that you'll be held accountable to in the eyes of God. Would you go back and do it differently? So many wouldn't. So many think, I wouldn't change a thing. Then there are those who look at their life with regret. And this is an honest, an honest appraisal. And this is, as Jesus says, to be very near to the kingdom of God. To look at your life and say, things weren't always the way they should be. I have not always done what I should. What we confess every Sunday when we confess our sins. I have sinned in thought, word, and deed. Things I've done and things I have left undone, there is a lot There is a lot, countless things, in fact, that I would change if I could go back. I wouldn't be so easily fooled. If I went back with everything that I know right now, I wouldn't be duped by this or that or the other thing. I wouldn't do or say that thing that was so hurtful, that was so harmful. I wish I could take it back. I wish I could undo it. If I could go back, that's exactly what I would do. I would bite my tongue. I wouldn't think so much about myself. I'd help somebody who was in need. I'd buy Amazon stock. I'd go back and do something different. That's what I would do. There's a mistake in that way of thinking. It's honest. It's an honest appraisal of our lives at this moment, that there's plenty, plenty that could be changed, that would be good to change. But there's a mistake in that thinking. I heard somebody describe it this way. It's the idea that if we could just turn back the clock and do one or two things differently, everything would be different going forward. But what happens when you rewind a movie and then you press play? What happens if you rewind a movie halfway and you press play? Well, it plays out pretty much the same, doesn't it? Now, maybe you can change a few things here and there. Maybe you can change a few details of the story. But look, the characters are the same. The circumstances are the same. The world is the same. Our hearts are the same. So maybe the plot takes on a different arc. But do you think it would be any less full of regret, that it would be any better, that you could do, that you could actually do any better. This is the problem with thinking about turning back the clock. And it is that in our frail human imaginations, in our frail and weak and poor assessments of ourselves, we are never willing to turn back the clock as far as we should. We're never willing to actually get to the root of the problem. So I was reading a book yesterday about, the title is called Stolen Youth. And it's about the way that children are educated in our world now by all kinds of things, in schools, by the media, by uh, the surroundings in their lives, by friends and family, by the internet, the way that children are educated. And there was a family who was lamenting some terrible things that had happened to their child. The child had encountered severe depression and was sent off to inpatient psychiatric treatment and came home came home thinking that she was a boy. 
And the mother in this story, a dreadful thing, the mother in this story said, that's where it all began. And we sent our daughter off to the inpatient psychiatric treatment. Now something happened there, that's to be sure, but is that where it began? Is that where it began in your life? Something that you can point to, some moment that set a whole course of events off, that tipped the dominoes over and everything went bad from that moment. If only you could get back to that moment and change that, then everything would be okay subsequent to that. Could you go back far enough? What is the root of the problem? Is it something somebody else did to you? Is it poor choices that you have made? Or is the root deeper than that? Now, however far back you think you would want to go, I think that most people in this world are honest about the fact that it's impossible. You can't go back. And that leads to a kind of despair, really a a fatalism in our world. Everybody looks around and says, well, it is what it is. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever said that before? It is what it is. We can't go back. We can't turn back the clock. We can't long for the glory days. They're gone. They're gone. Now, I think, for what it's worth, I think that this is where Nicodemus was in our gospel lesson. I don't know for sure. He could be anywhere in all of these categories, but this is where I think he was. Looking at his life, looking at the world around him, knowing that it would be good to go back, but how can you? Other people are more hopeful about going back. They think, if only we could turn back the clock on this or that thing, if we could fix, if we could fix politics, if we could fix media, if we could fix education, if we could fix any number of things, then finally everything would be okay. And there again, the problem is, You're just rewinding the movie and starting in the same place. But that despair, that despair is most honest of all. So what if it would be good to turn back the clock? I can't. How can a man be born again? Can he enter once again into his mother's womb and be born again? That's the question Nicodemus asks. And really, the point at which you are asking that question The point at which you are throwing up your hands in despair and saying, it would obviously be good if we could go back, but how can we? That is what brings you near to the kingdom of God. And then, when Jesus says to you, not only would it be good if you could go back, but you must, you must go back. It's the point at which he says that to you and you say, how can that possibly be like Nicodemus says? That's the point you have fully understood what Jesus is talking about. Band-aids and remedies and quick fixes and changing a few things here and there that does not solve our problem. We have to go back all the way. We need a new beginning, a new birth. We need a new genesis, and it's impossible. It's impossible. How can a man be born again, Nicodemus asks. It's only when you reckon with the impossibility of it that you can actually see what it is that Jesus is offering to you. He is not offering a new start like you are coming to New Year's Eve and you're going to just finally, you're going to buckle down and do all of those things that you knew you should have done. Sure, you can't change the past, but you're going to try and do better for the future. That is not what he's offering to you. He is actually, in fact, offering you a way back to the beginning. Not to the turning points in your lives, where you think you made some mistake. Not to your birth, so that you would re-enter into your mother's womb. But be back to the beginning altogether. Back to that moment in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve chose their own selfish desires instead of God's loving will. 
He's offering to take you back there. To take you back to a point where you can be born, not of flesh, not of sinful, corruptible, mortal, dying human flesh, but of the Spirit. That you can be born again to be made like Him. That is what He's offering to you. That is exactly what happens in baptism. Something that is overlooked by so much of the Christian church, unfortunately, because they ask questions like, how can water do such great things? Well, it can because Jesus said so. And he says that when you are washed with water and the word, and God's holy triune name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is placed on you, you have been made into a new creation, a new person. You look at yourself and you see the same stuff. You see the same flesh that is going to grow old and be full of regret and die. But Jesus says, I see something different because I have given you a new heart. By water and the Spirit, being born by water and the Spirit, you are going to live eternally. And in fact, you have already now begun to live a new life that is so much better. It's silly even to say that it's so much better. It's completely different from the life that you lived before by water and the Spirit. It's not just another attempt with the same stuff, but it is a new lease on life altogether. So think about the difference between somebody who's got some heart trouble. And the reason they've got some heart trouble is because of bad habits, and they sit on the couch all day, and they don't exercise. Okay? So imagine that. Very common in our world. And you can imagine a new lease on life that would say, one day, I'm going I'm to make some changes. I'm going to do something better. And that's good. That's good. But what's the problem? Or what's the limit of that solution? The damage has already been done. Your heart is already creaky. It's already wearing out. That doesn't really help you. But something does help you. There is something that is marvelous in our world. Talk about technology and medicine. They can, in fact, give you a new heart. And if you have a new heart, that's a whole new lease on life altogether. Now, now you actually have something good to take care of instead of something bad that you're just trying to hold off disaster. You have something good and marvelous to hold on to. Now, there again, there's a limit. Because that heart is eventually going to stop beating and you're going to be laid into the grave. But not so. Not so with the heart that Jesus gives you, which is his own heart, beloved of the Heavenly Father, beloved of the Heavenly Father and full of love for God and for the neighbor. That is what you've received. Believe it. Even when you can't see it, which, frankly, none of us can most of the time. Even when you can't see it, believe it. You've been given a new heart, and that means you have a future and a hope in eternity absent of regret free from any desire to turn back the clock and make things better because things have already been redeemed for you by Jesus. That's exactly what he did when he died on the cross. He went back to the start. And he suffered the punishment that was leveled against Adam and Eve. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. He suffered that, took that away, destroyed the devil, removed the sting of death, opened the grave for all eternity so that you so that you and I can live a new life. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 11 when he says this, this thing that is kind of, it's like his, his frail attempt to capture the glory of what God has done for us. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. No one can see the bottom of his love for you. He loved you in this way, that he sent his son to die for you, to take your place and to give you a new life. All that is required of you, and this is the simplest thing there ever was, all that is required of you is that you believe it. That when he says to you, I want you to live for you forever, you say, Amen. Let it be to me according to your word. When he says to you, all your sins are forgiven, don't hold on to them, let them go. 
Do not regret, but look forward with joy to what I have in store for you. You say, Amen. Let it be to me according to your word. God grant us all grace to live according to this new life, a life by the Spirit that will never fade away. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.